Without further ado, we have a brother going to come and share just a simple Devo with us. Let's give our ears and our hearts and our minds focus. Eric Sauce is going to come bring it for us. Let's welcome. Yes. <coughs> I'm choking to death, so Sauce, you're on. Hello. How's everybody doing? You know, I was just thinking about this the other day. When Josh said it, it uh, is it working? <laughs> when Josh said it the, today, it actually made me think of how I was thinking this week for everyone who's who's been here uh, to the Upper Room Bible Study. I remember when I came about a year ago, and it was funny because we were at the other coffee shop, uh, I forget the name of it, but Java Bliss. We were over there, and then we couldn't go there, and all of a sudden we find our way back, and it's another coffee shop. And for some reason that just made me laugh because it's a coffee shop. Anyway. But today I wanted to bring something to you guys to try and get um, you guys thinking a little bit. Thinking about what your focus is on, pretty much. And so if you guys have a Bible, which I hope you guys do, please turn to Haggai chapter 1. It's in the Old Testament. Now this uh, first chapter, I'm going to focus on just short verses, you know, verse 4 through 9. Verse 2 kind of sets the stage about what's going on. Verse 2, see, uh, what's going on here is the Israelites uh, decided to not build up the temple for God. They decided to not build up the house of God. They decided upon their own judgment to uh, really just uh, forego building up the house and uh, focusing, in a sense, on themselves. That's what you read in chapter, in verse 2, excuse me. And verse 4 kind of continues on. I'll read along with you guys. God asks, he says, Is it time for you guys to dwell in your paneled houses while my house lie desolate? What he's saying is he's saying to the Israelites, he's speaking through the prophet Haggai, he's asking, so you guys have decided to, to lay and be in your, own, in your own homes while my house lies desolate. My house is not being built. There's nothing going on while you guys are, are doing your own thing. You're, you're just hanging out in your own houses, whatever it might be doing, and, and you're, not, you're not building up my house. Why is that? He asks the question. He asks the question that. And he goes on to say, can't see here. He says, Now therefore says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much, but harvest little. You eat, but there is not enough to be satisfied. You drink, but there is not enough to become drunk. You put on clothing, but no one is warm enough. And he who earns, earns wages to put in a purse with holes. Therefore, says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. What is he saying? God's saying, hey, look, you guys are thinking about yourselves. You guys are, are doing your own thing. You guys, my house lie desolate. You guys are worrying about, you know, your food, your clothing, your money. That's your central focus. He's saying, consider your ways. Why is that your central focus? Why did you decide to not build up my house and decide to do your own thing? You are, in a sense, my chosen people. That, that's who the Israelites were. They were his people. And so many times throughout the Old Testament we would see back in, in Moses' day how just the people of Israel would just give everything they had to God. They would just get so filled out of Moses' command and they would just bring it all to God and lay it there for building of the temple and for whatever it might be. And... Now, it's not doing that. The Israelites are simply worrying about themselves. Their focus is on themselves. Their focus, you know, they're, they're kind of saying to themselves, 
you know, let me worry about me, and then I'll go back to God after that. And so many times, all of us can get caught up in that. All of us can get to the point where we say, you know what, I, I gotta, I gotta make some money. I, I gotta do this. I gotta get that nice piece of clothing. I gotta, I gotta get that nice car. I gotta, I gotta do this. I gotta do that. And oh yeah, then I'll, then I'll go to church. I'll make sure I have enough to go to church. I'll, I'll have the gas to go to church. See, that's, that's why God is saying, consider your ways because. God needs to be the central focus of everybody's life. It's not about yourselves, and then you focus on God. That's not how it works. See, God needs to be the supreme treasure of your life, right into your heart. He needs to be the central focus. Every single day you wake up, it needs to be, God needs to be on you. What do I do for you? What do I do for you? Not myself. That's why he says plenty of times, that's why Jesus says in the Gospels, Deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow. That's what he says. Because it needs to be that central focus. It needs to be on Jesus Christ. It needs to be the center of your life, not of yourself. Deny yourself. Pick up your cross and follow. Deny yourself. Put your fel- yourself last. What's the first command that, that God gives us? Love the Lord your God with all your ha- heart, mind, and soul, right? Love the Lord your God with all your hi- heart, mind, soul. That is number one the number one thing you need to do in your lives. It's not about me. Here the Israelites, they were worrying about themselves. They did. They foregoed building the temple because they decided they wanted to do their own thing. They sown much but harvest little. They worried about their money. They worried about their clothing. But nowhere do you see them worrying about God in this, in this instance. And as we continue on, God says in verse 8, Go up to the mountains. Bring wood and rebuild the temple that I may be pleased with it and be glorified, says the Lord. He says, go up to the, to the hills, bring some wood so that I can be pleased and glorified. He gives them a command to do that. He says, all right, Israelites, you know, my people, you're not going to do this. Okay, I'm going to command you. And why it struck out, because it's like, it should never get to the point where you have to feel commanded to bless God, where you have to feel commanded to, to do things for God, where you have to feel commanded to share with somebody about God. I was so blessed to uh, hear the message from the Refresh Camp. How many was at the Refresh Camp? Raise your hand. Man, that was amazing. An amazing message. And, and it kind of, uh, that's why I'm so glad this came to me for today because it's like, that's just it. Like Dr. Mori said, where is your first love? God says, consider your ways. Are you worrying about yourself? Well, okay, you are. So I'm going to give you a command to go build my temple so I can be pleased and satisfied. So pleased and glorified. Does he need to? He has everything. He created all this that we see here. Everything you have, it was because he decided to give it to you, decided to bless you with it. And now he's saying, you know what? Go so I can be, be glorified, so I can be pleased. He wanted his people just to worship him in his temple, in his house, he wanted people to come and to worship him. And the Israelites decided, uh, maybe maybe later, maybe after I get my money, after I get my, my things. Nowadays it could be, if I can make it there, I'll do it. You know, if I can, let me just take care of my stuff. May it never be that we think about ourselves and put ourselves before the one who created us. Never should we glorify the creature over the creator. Never should it be. And so, that's why I wanted to bring it and say, what is our focus on a daily basis? This is a daily thing. 
Jesus says, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow has enough problems as it is. He's saying, you need to worry about today. Every day, I just encourage everybody to get up and to think about God, to pray, to read your Bible, and seek to bless God, and, and seek to do His will in your life before anything else. Then and only then, will you find life and life abundantly, as he says. Then and only then will you find that peace in your heart. Why? Well, because in Luke chapter 9, people ask him, people go up to him and they ask, "What? I want to follow you. What do I do to follow you? And Jesus says, he says, get up, follow me. And one guy goes off and he says, well, let me go back and bury my father. I know you guys have probably heard this story. The next guy says, well, well, let me go back and, and say goodbye to my mom and my dad and and do that, and then I'll come follow you. Jesus says in verse 62, I'll read it so I know exactly what it says. He says, No one after putting his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. What does that mean? Nobody who decides to partially do this Jesus thing, who decides to partially go to church, partially follow after God, is fit for the kingdom of God. It is full devotion to Jesus Christ is what he's asking. Full devotion to Jesus Christ. This is not this is not to bring about a burden in people's hearts. It's not about to bring, oh man, you mean I gotta follow Jesus? You mean I gotta do it a hundred percent? Yes, you do. But it's not to burden you because Jesus goes off in Luke chapter twelve and he talks about the sparrows, how not one sparrow will fall to the ground without the Father in heaven knowing. Not one sparrow will fall without God knowing. It shows you who's in charge. Yeah, God is is in charge. He's in complete control. But he says, later on in the second verse, how more precious are you than these sparrows? How more precious are his children, his people, than the sparrows? See, that should bring about joy in everybody's heart. We should be able to look at that and say, that's right. God loves me. Jesus loves me. Josh sang a song. He loves me. We can sit here and say, for those who are believers, true believers in Christ, we can sit there and say, that's right. He does love me. Every single one, He loves me. He died for me. That should We should embrace that. Embrace that fact that Jesus does love you. Embrace the fact that He says, God feels that, He knows. Jesus says that you are more important than the sparrows in heaven. You are more important. Jesus does want a full devotion to Him because that is when we find peace. That is when we find life and life abundantly. That is when we are at full, complete rest, when we are fully involved and fully submitted to God. That is the only way. No, There's no partially thing here. You don't just go on Sundays and you don't just do this and you do that and you go through the motions. You are not fit for the kingdom of God is what He says. But it, it needs to be a reminder to us that well, we are fit for the kingdom of God. But we need to seek to bless God and put Him first in our lives on a daily basis by taking it one day at a time. Matthew 6.33 says, Seek first the kingdom of God. First. Not second, not third. Seek first. It's just important for us to remember that. Embrace that. Put that as the center focus of your life. Put that as number one by saying, That's right. God, you did so much for me. Now I want to seek to bless you. I want to do your will in my life on a daily basis. Like that was said at the the refreshed uh, camp, 
if you've lost your first love, you'll know it. And he lists these verses. Well, I'll tell you what. If you've lost your first love, I'll tell you another reason. God won't be first in your life. Remember the fire that everybody had? Some people may have it. Some people may have lost it. The fact that you do things for God and and, and you don't even care. You, you, you go and you, you talk to somebody on the street. You go and you buy somebody lunch. You do it because you love others, but most importantly because you love God. You pray to God and you read His Word because you want to learn more about Him. That's just it. We are not supposed to be like the Israelites back in this chapter who decided amongst themselves, I'm going to do my own thing first and then I'll do what God wants. So many people do that today. And it's ridiculous to see that. It's ridiculous to see so many people say, you know, uh, God's cool, but what about me? You know, i got to make sure I do this and this and this and this. i got to make sure this, this and this is okay. And then I can do that. Remember Jesus said, you are more important than the sparrows. You are more important. His people are more important. He says that all that come to me I hold in my hand and I will lose none. I'm confident in this very fact that he that per, that started a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. That is in Philippians. He that started a good work will perfect it. You can be encouraged and you can have peace in your heart knowing that. Look, God is, God is in control. God is going to help you. God is going to guide you. But the question is, what do we do? What do we do on a daily basis? Is it God? Is it a cross-centered life? Do we wake up in the morning and our focus is on Him? Or do we wake up in the morning and our focus is on what I'm going to eat today, what I'm going to buy, how I'm going to get to my job, how am I going to finish this test? Hey, it's problems that life comes But when we put our trust in God, when we seek to follow Jesus with every single ounce of our being, that is when we will find the answers to everything else because God is going to be there. Jesus is there. His word is there for us as instruction to let us know we must seek to follow Him on a daily basis. You guys know Proverbs 3, 5. Trust in the Lord your God with all your heart. Do not lean on His own understanding. But verse 6 says, in all your ways, acknowledge Him, and He will make your path straight. In all your ways. It doesn't say in some of your ways. Only in ways on Sundays. No. In all of your ways, acknowledge Him. Acknowledge, that is another word that can be used and translated in striving after Him. In all your ways. When we pray, bring your things to God. He's personal. He's a personal God. He knows you. He knows everything about you already. I mean, there's no point to try and hide hide things from Him. It's not going to work. And by coming to Him and just praying to Him and seeking His will in your life is when you will find life and life abundantly. When you will find it. Like He says, no man who starts this job by sticking his hand in the plow and looks back. Let us not start something and look back and worry about everything else. Let us not have the worries of this life burden us but have the joy of Christ free us. Embrace that. Don't just say, that's right, oh yeah, I know. Okay, let me go do my thing. Embrace it. To embrace it, that means to put that, like I said, your center focus in life to understand, oh Jesus, that's right. When you were on that cross, you did it for me. For God's people, 
He did it for them and He died on that cross. And we need to understand that, embrace that, and not be like the Israelites who decide to do their own thing and not build the temple of God and wait for a command to go and build it. Never should we wait for someone to command us to strive after God, command us to bless God, command us to do this, command us to do that. That needs to be what we want to do because we love God. When He changes our hearts, He puts desires in us like that. But we need to constantly strive after that. Hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Hunger and thirst every day. Make the cross the center of your life every day. And I can guarantee, because of what Jesus says, and what it says in Philippians, that He that began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. God is in control, and He's going to help you. But we can't desire our own wants and pleasures. We need to acknowledge Him in every way. Seek first His kingdom and righteousness. That is what He asked for. That is what He wants. Jesus wants a full devotion, because when we are fully submitted in God and fully submitted to God, everything falls into place. It's not that you get the big puzzle, and you work everything else into the middle, and the middle piece is God. You put the middle piece in first. You know when you guys work on a puzzle? You never start really from, I mean, some people start from the outside to get the border, but God is that central piece that everything else builds around. That central focus that everything else builds around. It's not the thing that's second or third. It's central. It's number one. It's a cross-centered life every day. By denying yourself, picking up your cross and follow. Like I said last time, the four things. Well, one of them is a daily death. You have to remember a daily death every day. Seek to do the will of God. Jesus says, Who are my brothers and sisters? When the disciples ask him, he says, Anyone who does the will of my Father. That's just it. God's plan for his people and what he wants for his people is better than what you think. And I just want everyone to embrace that. And if you find it hard, pray about it. Pray about it and say, God, what do I do? How do I do this? If you find yourself stumbling off a little bit, just say, pray and say, God, how do I get back on track? What do I do? Do I read every day? Do I worship you? Do I come to Bible study? Whatever I do, how do I get that back on your back on that straight path? How do I do it? And God will show you. Like I said, He that started a good work in you will perfect it. Have that bring joy to your heart and know that God is there, that Jesus is there, that Jesus needs to be the central focus of your life, and everything falls into place. Jesus Christ should be treated as the supreme treasure of your life. And the joy that will come across your heart and your mind and your soul is beautiful beautiful is that is when you will find peace in life and life abundantly let us not desire our own wants let's desire the things of God every day the things of God every day so tonight we're going to have a good study from Josh and just join with me we'll pray this up and we'll just uh, prepare our hearts Father, we uh, come to you right now, God, and we seek your will in our lives. We seek 
to do what you want us to do. We seek to be fully submitted to you on a daily basis, to understand you better, to know you better, to walk with you stronger, and to let this secret run, as the song says, the secret of you and your blood and what it does for us, Lord Jesus. So we ask that you prepare our hearts as we hear this message. May we use what is said to bless you and bless others, have a better relationship with you after this night, and embrace the truths of your word, and embrace you as a supreme treasure of our life, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, guys. Amen. Christ-centered and to be seeking Him every day of your life. I'm reading a book called The Unshakable Kingdom and the Unchanging Person by E. Stanley Jones. And he speaks about this. About each day having a purpose and a vision and a direction, a mission. And I think of this quote, if you Aim at nothing, you'll hit it every time. Aim at nothing, and you'll hit it. And that is what much of the Christian church today is doing. Let's be honest. What is our ultimate goal? What is our vision? What is our direction? Well, yes, everybody has little programs and things going on in every church, right? We want to target the family here. We want to get more people here. We want to reach out to the community. We want to... We need to go to church. People, they need to be healthy believers. But what is the ultimate goal? What is the per- what's the what's the big idea, anyways? It's to be furthering the kingdom of God. Jesus was obsessed with the kingdom of God. You see it mentioned so much throughout the gospel: the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. Having one focus, one vision, what? Furthering the kingdom of God daily. How do you do that? You love the Lord your God. You serve the King. You bless the King. And you serve and bless others. You take ground for the kingdom. And we have got to become kingdom minded. We've got to be thinking about this a lot. Because this changes all perspective in your day, doesn't it? If you're thinking about what your job is today to be furthering the kingdom of God, hey, you got a whole different perspective now. Because the kingdom of God is eternal. It's people coming into the kingdom, taking more ground for Christ here on this earth. That must be our focus. That must be our direction. And we're going to look at a man tonight that was more devoted than anyone on the earth in that time. Look at the book of Job, if you turn there with me. And Father, we ask that you would minister to our hearts through your word and that we would walk away. We would walk away fed. We would walk away sensing your spirit, recognizing that you've spoken directly to us 
ready to change and move in the direction of you, to further your kingdom, O Great One, to bless your heart, to lift you up, to raise your flag high so that all can see who you are and how great you are. Yes, Lord, to fight for you and to live for you here on this earth. That is our desire. Please help us as we look into your word. We ask these things in the name of your Son. Amen. The book of Job, yes, I believe the oldest book in the Bible, huh? Yes, oldest. The book of Job, a very interesting book. I remember studying it when I was in Israel. I read through it there in the coffee shop as I would read every day just a couple chapters and I would sit down and just break it down. Eh, crazy what happens. But the real meat of the story kind of takes place right here in the beginning. And we are in Job chapter 2 tonight in our reading as we read through the Bible. But I kind of want to blow through chapter 1. Yes. Kind of blow through chapter 1. we got to lay a foundation. There's so much. How can I explain to you chapter 2 if we don't even know what happened in chapter 1? So we're just going to dive right in so I don't waste any more time. The book of Job, chapter 1, verse 1. There is a man in the land of Uz. Oz? Uz. <laughs> His name was Job. That man was perfect and upright, one that feared God and eschewed evil. And there were born unto him seven sons and three daughters. Wow, ten kids. That's an army. Now that's an army. Ten kids. Can you imagine? A man that was perfect and upright in his ways. Very impressive. Look at verse 3. His substance also was 7,000 sheep. 300,000 camels, I'm sorry, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 she-donkeys, and a very great household, so that this man was the greatest of all the men in the East. Greatest! The big dog on campus. He was the one. There was none greater than Job. Man, Let's look at verse 4. And his sons went and feasted in their houses every one his day and sent and called for their three sisters to eat and to drink with them. And it was so when the days of their feasting was gone about that Job sent and sanctified them and rose up early in the morning and offered burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, It may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus did Job continually stop there. Job, what an upright man. Yes, one who feared God and walked close to him. Notice what he did every day. His kids were what? Partiers. Loved to go and just party away. An upright man. You would think that Job, a man who is perfect in his ways, one who fears God and seeks Him every day, that he would see what? Kids that what? Fear God and walk close to Him. That is one sad thing is that, hey, it's not always going to work, even if a parent tries as hard as they possibly can. Look at God. Has God done anything wrong? And look at His kids. They run from... Look at the Jews. His own people. They run from Him. And I think that we, future parents and parents in here, must do it. We must lay down our lives, do as best as we can, with no regrets the time spent with the child. Look at what he did every single day. Did you see that? 
It says in verse 5 there at the end, it may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus did Job continually. Did what? It says that Job sent and sanctified them and rose up early in the morning and offered burnt offerings according to the number. He he did ten offerings every single morning for his kids. Why? One for each child. Amazing. What if we had a, a church, a people, a generation that was willing to get on their face for their kids every morning and cry out to God to sacrifice Maybe you don't make as much money just so that you can spend time with your kids. Hey, family, I'm doing the best I can. I'm so, you know what? I want to spend time with you guys. That's why I don't work the extra hey, three or four hours a day. We could have more money and more stuff and cool stuff, but you know what? I want to be close to you guys. And I want to spend time in the Word with you. I want to be in prayer. Many men, let's be honest. I heard a pastor say it. Many men will do what? Work very hard, like the first 10 years of their marriage. Be very successful and take care of their family. They don't listen to their wives, though. They don't spend time with their children. At the end of 10 years, their wife kind of turns it off and says, "Um, I tried to talk to you for 10 years, but you were busy working. And the man thinks, what? I've been working hard to provide and to take care of this family. I've played my part. She says, no, you don't listen to me. And so I, hey, I built a real close relationship with my girlfriends. And then once he's established his business, what happens? He wants to now sit down and talk. He wants to spend that time. But hey, wife doesn't want to anymore. She's closed off. And children are off doing their own thing, wondering where Papa has been all these years. But son, I can buy you the cool toy. Don't Yeah, thanks, Dad, for the cool toy. But those valuable lessons... That only time can give. I remember my old boss, Paul Yolkham, as I did plumbing with him for quite a few years. He said, Josh, I said, Paul, tell me about raising kids. I cried. One thing I'll tell you, he'd always tell me, I don't know how to raise kids. I'm like, your kids are great. He'd say this, you know, Josh, look for those times when your kids want to spend time with you. Because those sweet talks that you have only come once in a while and you can't make it happen as much as you want it to. So be ready for it. And if it comes, you drop everything. That's wisdom. I said, absolutely, Paul, do that. And Job, I bet, was sitting there with his kids as he prayed daily. And any one of those boys, any one of those girls came home, he was ready to welcome them with open arms, love on them, spend quality time with them. Train a child in the way they should go. And what? They will not depart. They will not depart from the Lord. They may be running now, but they will not later on in life. It's guaranteed. But Job was an upright man who, hey, laid down his life for his kids. You don't see many people. That is, wow, just hit me. Think about that. God called him an upright man, and what did he show in his life? Did he say he had a big church? He's an upright man. No. Did he say he made a lot of money? He's an upright man. No. He was perfect and upright. Was it because he served in the church? He went to Bible study? Oh, no, it doesn't say that. What does it say? He loved his kids, man. He sacrificed for them. He laid his life down for his own family. And only if there were men here in this nation that would lay their lives down for their family, take responsibility. Men, there's a huge burden upon our shoulders. Let's just be, let's be honest with ourselves. Let's be real. 
and recognize that, hey, the spirituality and the spiritual temperature of our families is based on us. Well, Susie won't listen to me, or Joey won't do that. Hey, who does it fall on? It is us. Who is the fault? Who is the sin fell on? Jesus Christ, our King. Who is what? The husband. He is the one who took it all upon himself. It is all his fault, he shows. He does not blame us. And so in the same way, it is a picture that men are to love their wives as Christ loved the church. What if she's wrong? You're wrong. Because you are the head and you are to take care of your family. Guys, that's why you've got to be dead serious about what's going on right now. Because if we're not, you're going to mess it up. If you're willing to be serious and dedicated, what if one of my kids turns from the Lord? Don't worry. They will turn back. You raise them in the ways of the Lord. You do what you're supposed to do like Job. What's an upright man? What is a perfect man in God's eyes? One that takes care of his family. There are so many pastors in this nation whose kids are more messed up than everybody else in the church. Why is that? Do you remember Moses' wife came and threw the foreskins at his feet and said, Moses, you're too busy with ministry. You don't even circumcise your own children. A great man, yes. But if a man cannot take care of his household, how can he take care of the church? It is very important that we ready ourselves. Now, brothers, don't waste time. If you're not the man you want to be today, you won't be the man you want to be tomorrow. You've got to start now. Today is the day. I am continually making rededications to the Lord in my life. Yes. I am continually refocusing myself and trying to figure out what needs to be done. Continually. I hope that I will be refined to one day be a man like Job that is upright and perfect in the eyes of God because of the way he treats his family. Let's look at verse 6 and see what happens. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them. So, Satan and his posse roll in. They walk into heaven. Interesting that God allows that. They have free. They, they just walked in. It's cool. There will come a day when they will be thrown into hell. But I guarantee that they are not allowed to come in, but without permission, of course. It seems as God is allowing them in. Look what He says to them. The Lord said unto Satan, Whence comest thou, or where have you been? And Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro in the earth, from walking up and down it. Interesting. Satan is walking up and down, left and right, all over the earth. Be from one side to the next in a second. But he can only be at one place at one time. I don't know if any of you have ever come in contact with Lucifer himself. I don't know. But I do know that he has kingdoms established here on this earth. That he goes to and fro from them. I believe there's one, a huge one, established there in, yes, the Middle East. I believe there's a huge one there in China, in North Korea. I believe there's a huge one in Utah. Very high established. A place where he sits on his throne. Remember the kings of Persia back in Daniel? The king of Persia? We talked about that a little bit. Way back when? The king of Persia. A demonic being that reigned over that land. And I'm sure there is a king of Riverside that reigns here. I've been thinking... 
something I think I want to start doing with the college study, but also I think with us in some way, shape, or form. We've been talking about going to war. What do you mean? No, not with guns, but fighting for our king in prayer. The battle will never be won until we pray. What, do you think you're going to like do a little kung fu? You think you're going to bust a move on the enemy? I don't think so. It is one in prayer. Let's be honest, we as a church do not pray. Often do we pray and go to battle. The battle is one in prayer. And so I like to call it that war. War stands for what? Waging a revolution. We will go to war to wage a revolution here in this city. And we must fight. We must go to battle. And it will not happen easily. If you want to go to war and come to battle, you're going to get cut up. I guarantee it as we go to prayer and as it starts, which I hope to be starting, maybe just simply an hour of prayer. We'll start there and see what happens. But going to battle and fighting for the kingdom, I guarantee that more problems will come in your life than you've ever felt or imagined. Because you choose to fight against the things that are destroying this nation. You choose to fight against whoever this king is here in in Riverside. I don't know what his name is. I guarantee we'll come in contact. But we must wage war in the spiritual realm. And we do not. We are that army that walks around kind of swinging their swords, waiting for the enemy just to come and just rip us off. We are nothing close to 300 nor the great armies of the Romans. We are not ready for battle. But I would encourage you to prepare yourself for there is one going to and fro throughout the earth who is what? Like a lion, seeking who he may devour. Be careful. If he comes into Riverside, he may come to strike you down. The thing is, the sweet thing is what? He cannot touch you unless the Father allows it. He cannot come close, those of you who know God and those of you who walk close. He cannot. Unless he allows it. And look what happens here in verse 8. And the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a perfect and upright man, one that fears God and escheweth evil? Well, God bragging to Job. Hey, Lucifer. Have you seen my boy? Job, he's faithful, isn't he? Upright, perfect. I bet Lucifer is sitting there all bummed out. Maybe God was doing wink, wink. Remember that was a used you used to be, buddy. Remember you were the bright ain't bright morning. You were the one, angel in heaven, top dog, perfect and upright in every way, and you rebelled. But look at my boy who. Continues to remain faithful to me. Look what Satan says in verse 9. Then Satan answered the Lord and says, Does Job fear God for naught? Has not thou made a hedge about him and about his house and all that he has on every side? Thou hast blessed the work of his hands and his substance and increase in the land. Okay, stop there. So Lucifer kind of chimes back. Hey, hey, God, uh uh. The only reason he's like that is because you put a hedge of protection around him, which you have. The only reason he prospers is because your hand allows it, 
That's the only reason anything is happening. And so what does God say? Or what does Lucifer finish saying? Verse 11, But put forth thine hand now, and touch all that he has, and he will curse thee to your face. He says, yeah, if you take all that away, and you touch him and take away everything, he will curse you. Isn't that Christians this day? You know, I've noticed that. I've noticed that in a few college buddies. When things aren't going right in life, things aren't good with God. And I recognize this. One guy came to me and he's just like, Josh, I'm really angry with God. What? I don't know if he loves me. Huh? What are you talking about? Well, I didn't get accepted to the school I wanted to go to. But that's my dream. That's where I wanted to go. And I don't get to go now. And so because God has not sent you to that school, and because the hand of the Lord is moving, and yes, it is His hand, and He has said, no, go to that school, you're bummed at Him. God knows best, my friend. What if He desires to have you go to another school because He has a beautiful wife waiting for you there? Oh, oh yeah, I want to go to that school now. Oh, uh-huh, uh-huh. And what if, hey, you would have went to the first school and you couldn't get a job? But it just so happens that you go to this other school that the Father has for you and you meet this professor who knows a guy who has a job waiting for you when you graduate. A divine appointment. You think because God takes away, He is wronging you? Be very careful. And He says this, Satan says to God, if you take it away from Him, He'll curse you just like all the other people I see on the earth. As soon as you bring the cloud, as soon as it starts to rain, look at them. They doubt. They run. They flee. They get scared. And isn't that us? Family, let it not be us. Let us be ones that stand firm. Trees planted what? Deep within the ground that cannot be moved. When the wind starts to blow, hey, the roots grow deeper. When the rain starts to come and the the leaves start to fall, hey, we don't need to worry. And I'm telling you this, why? Because this is our nature, isn't it, as people? When hard times come, what do we do? We sometimes start to shake our fist at God. And it even happens with me. I've told you stories when I lose things. I'm like, Father, why are you letting me lose it? I don't have time for this right now. And I start to just be like, just all bummed out and upset with the Lord. And then the Lord comes and what? Helps me to find it. It just happened again last weekend, yes. My phone, uh uh-huh. I was there at the stadium up in the high desert. This kind of mini uh, evangelistic uh, event was going on. About 5,000 people each night. It was really cool. A lot of people made decisions for Christ. And I was there, a big crowd, and I dropped my phone somewhere. I think when I sat down, I left it. Some guy picked it up and walked. And I didn't know, and I started crying out to the Lord, like, Father... I got all my stuff on. I got calendar on there. How am I going to remember everything? All my contacts, all these pastors from all the churches around I've been connecting with. Why are you doing this? Okay, all right, I'm ready. I, all right, I give it up. Okay, I'm going to go and I'm going to order a new phone through Sprint and I'm just not going to worry about it. I'm just going to let it go. And then another buddy came up to me. He's like, why don't you just ask the Father? I'm just like, okay, yeah. And I just kind of got by myself. It's like, King, please, would you please, please, and all of a sudden, my buddy, he calls. He's like, why don't you call your phone? Okay, call it. And the guy picks up. 
But see, you must understand that the brothers were calling the phone before. Nobody's picking up. All of a sudden, he picks up, and I'm like, hello? Yeah, 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 I lost the phone. Yeah, I'm over here at the burger joint right across the street. Why don't you come get it? I'm telling you, the joy that came from that. You think I won the lottery or something, you know? It's like I just going nuts. I started yelling, Baruch Hashem, you know, praise God. Like, I, I, it was just, I was ready to dance. I just didn't, I was so stoked. The Father pulled through for me once again. But it's a lesson that we need to learn day by day, family. Do not raise your fist against the Lord if something doesn't work out for you. Why? Because He has it figured out. And Satan is bringing this argument against Job and against people because that's what we do. We've got to stop that. Let's be a church that trusts God. Amen? Look at verse 12. And the Lord said unto him, Behold, all that is in all that he hath, he hath in, is in thy power. Only upon himself put not forth thine hand. So Satan went from the presence of the Lord. So what did God say? All right, deal. See, you don't ever make a deal with the devil, but even bigger, I don't think the devil should ever make a deal with God because he's going to lose, man. Hello? Don't make a deal with God. You should know already, Lucifer. Don't you know? You foolish. Of course God is going to win this one. And so what does he do? I bet you Lucifer was just stoked because he gets to just mess up everything. Now what did God say? You cannot touch my servant. You cannot touch him. But you can take away everything around him. Everything. And look what happens. Verse 13, And there was a day when the sons and his daughters were eating and drinking, his, his sons partying. wonder if Job was praying that morning for them and the eldest brother, in the eldest brother's house. And there came a messenger unto Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the donkeys were feeding beside them. And the Sabians fell upon them and took them away. Yea, they have slain the servants with the edge of the sword and I am the only one to escape to tell, the, to tell thee. While he was, yea, speaking... There came also another and said, The fire of God has fallen from heaven and hath burnt up the sheep and the servants and consumed them. And I, only I, escape alone to tell thee. While he was yet speaking, there came another and said, that The Chaldeans made out three bands and fell upon camels and have carried them away, yea, and slain the servants with the edge of the sword. And I am only escaped alone to tell thee. While he was yet speaking, there came another and said, The sons and thy daughters were eating and drinking wine in the eldest brother's house. And behold, there came a great wind, and from the winds, from the wilderness, and smote the four corners of the house, and fell upon it, fell upon the young men, and they are dead. And I am the only one to escape alone to thee. Stop there. Do you see that? First it said what? That some Sabians came and took away a bunch of the servants and killed them. Then... His oxen, fire came down. Fire, it says the fire of God came down. Interesting. Not really sure how to interpret that. I'm not going to try to. Whether it be the hand of God, actually God's hand sending fire down to consume the sheep and those animals of, of Job, I don't know. It says the fire of God. But then there are two verses down. It says wind came that Lucifer caused the wind. Something came and took away and killed and then the Chaldeans came. These are people that are coming, armies that are coming and killing. Now notice, if Lucifer is moving the Chaldeans and the Sabians to come and kill and slaughter, can he not move them in this day? Can he not move Hitler? 
Can he not move any one of the big dogs here on this earth at any time? Yes. It is a demonic power behind these things. Yes. He moves them to kill. Now look what happens. Job loses everything. Talk about a bad day. Talk about bad reports, huh? Can you imagine somebody coming to you and saying, Hey, um, your car, um, somebody was driving it and they flipped it and it's wrecked. It's completely totaled. Everything. Well, insurance will cover it, all right? It's a bummer I lost the car. Maybe somebody came and just blew up all your cars. You got no cars. Then somebody comes and reports what? That somebody came and killed your housemaid, your servants there in the house, people who are maybe your your employees, people working for you. Huh? How's this happening? Then you come back and what? A wind or a tornado comes and blows your house away. And when you think that things couldn't get worse, what happens? Somebody comes and reports to you, all ten of your children are dead. I mean, it can't get any worse. Sorrow like never before. I mean, when I, f- I found out I got a ticket today, I was so ticked. Is that down there in South L.A.? Sitting there, yes. I was at a pastor's meeting and... Uh, and I come out, and there's a sign that says between 12 and 2, you can't park. 12 and 2, two hours only. And I just so happen to be in that time. On that day. Randomly enough. And I, of course, I didn't see the signs. There's no paint on the side that tells me. Check this out. Check how, I just, I know it was the hand of God that gave me the ticket. This is why. Because I walked out to get some flyers out of the car. Right, me and two guys, and we walk in to go set them down. And I'm talking to Mike Jonker, do I leave these guys a banner or what? And I go back out to get the banner. Not even two or three minutes had gone by, and there's a ticket on my car. And the guy is sitting there in his car. I'm like, what are you doing? Giving you a ticket. Why? Because you're not to park here. There's a street sweeper coming by. I'm like, dude, come on. I just came down here from Riverside. I'm not going to be here long, please. Sorry, man, I already gave you a ticket. I would have done it for you if you know you weren't here. Like, I was just here like 30 seconds ago, man. I was just here. How did I... Father, Father, what are you doing? Why are you doing this? The Lord continues to humble me. I don't know why I got the ticket. Because I broke the law? <laughs> um, but, you know, these things happening... And I get upset about something like as small as that, but can you imagine the heaviness upon this man? He's lost everything, all of his possessions. What if your bank told you that all the money that you've saved up, gone, gone. You got nothing. You don't have your house, you don't have your cars, you don't have a family, you're just sitting there by yourself. The heaviness, I can't express to you enough. Because we're not in the situation, we don't even know. Have you ever lost someone? Maybe for some of you, the worst thing you've ever experienced is a breakup with a boyfriend or girlfriend. Maybe a death in the family. But all of your kids. That's what's happened. And look what Job does in verse 20. Then he, then Job arose and rent his mantle. That means he ripped his clothes. And he shaved his head and he fell down on the ground and... What? Worshipped. What? 
Who could worship at a time like this? Only an upright and perfect man. When the Egyptians were barreling down to crush the Israelites, were they worshiping? They were complaining, weren't they? When tragedy hits, what is the first thing you should do? Worship. He's given us what? The garment of praise for the what? Spirit of heaviness. If your spirit is heavy, then lift your arms to the Lord. If your spirit is hurting, praise your God. Get your mind off yourself and focus on the King. Worship your God. What happens when you praise God? You recognize who He is. That's why it's so important to praise God, even if you don't feel like it. Why? Because this is why. If things aren't going well and you praise God, you start seeing who He is as God. What do you mean, Josh? That He is the provider. That He is the great Almighty King who will take care of everything. That's why you praise God in your hard time. That's why you praise God in your struggle. And if you're having a hard time in your day, praise Him. Fall down and worship Him. I can't believe this happened. How many people in this life, that's the first thing they do when the bottom falls out of their lives? When the biggest tragedy hits, they do what? Fall down and worship God? No, everybody shakes their fist at God, don't they? And that is why Job is the most upright man anyone's ever seen. That God would brag on him. That is what we are called to. And he says what in verse 21? Naked I came out of my mother's womb, and naked I shall return. What a statement, huh? He's almost mocking his problems. Hey, I came into this world naked. Big whoopee. I'm going to go naked. It's no big deal. It's just possessions. It's nothing. It means nothing to me. It's okay to have possessions. But when your possessions own you and you can't give them up, you're in trouble. When you can't let go of that thing or that thing is too nice for you, you're in big trouble. If you can't give it away, you probably shouldn't have it. We don't own anything. Yeah, I do. No, you don't. It's all God's. And if He said it's time to give it away, then give it. You mean my shirt? Yeah. You got lots of them. You mean my car? If the Lord's calling, then give in the name of Jesus. You mean my life? I couldn't do that. You mean my goals? my success, all my vision, all that I want and I desire. Yes. Naked I came and naked I will go. That is the Christian life, I hope you know, family, is saying this, all that I have is yours. Nothing that I own is mine and I give up my entire life to serve you as Lord and King. If you tell me to go, I will go. If you tell me to let that go, I will let it go. If I need to give that away, it is yours. That is the Christian life. And that is what Job is saying. The Lord gave and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. We sing that song, but I believe it's become vain repetition for many of us. It doesn't mean much. It's just a great tune to tap our feet to. He gives and takes away. He gives and takes away. Did you know that? That God takes away from you? God would never do that. Oh. What if He takes away that car from you? What if he takes away all the money in your bank account? What if he takes away the clothes on your back and you have nothing? Will you praise him? Can you say, blessed be the name of the Lord? 
What if He takes away your happiness? Huh? I thought being a Christian was about being happy all the time with a smile plastered to your face. Oh no, au contraire. It's about having joy, deep, sincere joy. Walking through the storms like Job. I've lost everything, but I will bless you. And I will lift up your name. And I will walk close to you. You give and take. Take everything away. Take everything from my life. And if you take it away, I will still bless your name. I will still lift you up. That is something every single one of us need to ask ourselves. If God takes everything from you, what do you you love the most right now? What do you cherish? What is an amazing... If He took it away from you, will you still bless His name? Will you still bless His name as you celebrate today for Jesus Christ? That is a true Christian. And there may come a day, family, when all that we have will be taken from us. When I will no longer be able to preach the gospel here in this coffee shop. When I will no longer be able to proclaim the name of Jesus in public. And I may be beaten for it. And our house burnt down. And our cars keyed. Because we call ourselves Christians. That is a Christian life. That is walking close to the King. That is a true disciple of Christ. He has given you power in your life, not so you can be happy. He's given you power so you can withstand the persecution. The day will come. For some, it may be like Job today. You may go home tonight and tragedy may hit. How will you react? Tomorrow, the bottom might fall out at work. How will you react? Your best friend may walk away from you. As I've heard many times, the person you were engaged to may break it off with you. You may find out that you did that and sin is caught up with you. Be ready to praise your God and to bless His name no matter what. Verse 22, In all this Job sinned not, nor charged God foolishly. In all of this... What did Lucifer say in the beginning? If you do these things, he will what? Curse thy face. He will laugh at you. He will mock you. And what did he do? It says there, In all this Job sinned not, nor charged God foolishly. I'm going to blow through chapter 2 because it's the same exact picture as we just saw in chapter 1 except for a couple small things which I will point out. Let's read. The first thing is here the word again. It says again, There was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came among them to present himself before the Lord. And the Lord said unto Satan, From whence thou comest thou? And Satan answered, said to the Lord, From going to and fro throughout the earth, walking up and down it. And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considerest my service Job, that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil? And still, notice in the King James, the word, and still he hold fast his integrity, although thou movest me against him to destroy him without charge. That word, and still, I love that. I wish that would be a testimony for all of our lives. What do you mean? That even though trials and tribulation are hitting your life, that people would be able to look at your life and say, and still they remain solid, and still they remain faithful, and still they pursue the living God with all their heart. And I've even seen more passion, even though all these things are coming down in their life. That's a Christian. It kind of seems like the opposite. Like in the church, when tragedy hits, everybody does what? 
Well, they cry out to God, but in, almost in bitterness, and like scared in agony and fear. It's not in worship and celebration to see what God's going to do. And then when things are going cool, who's God? Why do I need to hang out with Him? And still, after all of this, He holds fast His integrity. You know, Christians are supposed to be people who are what? Have integrity. Character. That means you do the right thing when no one's looking. Did you know that? That's what you're called to. When no one's looking, there's a piece of trash on the ground. Eh, nobody cares. You pick that up. I get convicted so much sometimes with these kind of things. Like sometimes the Lord, I'll, I'll be walking by and I'll see a piece of trash, like just these small things. And I'll be walking by and it's like the Lord's like, how did you just let that go by? It's at the church. You should clean up the house. And I'm just like, eh. And I start to walk back and then the wind blows it. I'm just like, eh. Keep walking, and the Lord's just like, uh-uh. And I'm like, ah, okay. And I walk over, and I eventually end up picking it up, throw it away. It's in your room at night when you're thinking about whatever. That is integrity to reject, to think that about that person, to say this about that one, to listen to gossip. Integrity, do the right thing when no one's looking. Well, it's just me and so and so. I don't want to offend him. Absolutely not. Integrity. Job, a man who is above reproach. And still, even though all these things are happening, he still... That's another point, real great point. Why is it that we as Christians, uh, when things go wrong, we think there's an ex- it's almost an excuse to go and sin? Like when things just don't go our way? I've experienced that. Like when the bottom falls out, I'm just kind of upset at God, just like, forget this, I'm doing my own thing. I'm going to go and just fall into sin because I don't like the way things turned out. You have no, you never. If someone dies in your family, you do not have a reason to sin. If things don't go the way that you planned at work, you do not have good reason to sin. And if you want to, it will destroy your life. Go for it. And God will forgive you. But you will be a wreck. And God will welcome you with open arms. But don't let it be an excuse for you, Christian. Absolutely not. Let's close this down. Satan answered the Lord and said, Skin for skin, yea, all that the man has will he give for his life. So God, God says, Hey, look, he still held his integrity even though you took everything away. But then Satan says, Well, hey, of course. Every man would do all right even if he loses everything. But hey, what about his own life? What about his body? Verse 5, But put forth thine hand now, and touch his bone and his flesh, and he will curse you to your face. So now Lucifer says, Well, God, why don't you touch his body? Touch him. And let his body, deep into his bone, be messed up. And then he'll curse you. And the Lord said unto Satan, Behold, he is in thine hand, but save his life. He's like, Alright, you can touch his body, but do not kill him. Look what power Lucifer has. Those who do not know Christ are in big trouble. They do not have a seal upon them. And the king of this world, Lucifer, he can do whatever he wants. He can touch a person with disease in a second if he desires. He can beat them and mess. I mean, I just, I can see some people. I was down in L.A. today, and I was watching this guy. He had his shirt off, and he jeans ripped, and he had a backward hat on, and, and he was just sitting there, and he had... 
And he was kind of just like dancing in this awkward way there on the street. And he, he looked homeless and just like out in this world. I was just looking. You see these people. I remember being down at Skid Row. It's like people sometimes just like, I mean, they're just sitting there like being almost tormented. If you give yourself over to the enemy, even in the world, even in the party scene, you'll be tormented. It's, you must be very careful and I would encourage you to warn your friends. If you give yourself over to sin, you're in big trouble. The enemy will haunt you day and night with depression. He will haunt you day and night with guilt and shame. You're nobody. Your life sucks. Look at how trashed your life is. You amount to nothing. Torment day and night. Maybe things that many of you had thought before you became, came to Christ. I know I did. Wondering and seeking. The enemy has power, but only if God gives it to him. Verse 7, So when Satan went from the presence of the Lord and smote Job with sores, from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head, and he took him a potsherd to scrape himself with all and sat down amongst the ashes, what happened? Touched him, and his, and his skin just broke out in boils everywhere. And it says he tried to take a piece of pottery and scrape out I don't know what it was, probably pus and all kinds of things just all over. Can you imagine? If it struck your body, your face every, everywhere, just a g- giant boil from the top of your head to the bottom of your feet, you probably can't even sit down. You probably can't even lay down because of the pain. What if you went to eat something, your mouth would hurt because it's inside Maybe in the nose, in the ear. I mean, just, I can't even imagine. If you want to get up to go to the restroom, you just you start walking and your muscles tighten and maybe it bursts. I mean, this is sick. What more could happen to this man? He's lost everything. And now he's lost his own health. Look at verse 9. Then said his wife unto him, Does thou still retain thine integrity? Curse God and die. Curse God and die, she said. But he said to her, Look at this. What a man of God. Thou speakest as one of the foolish woman speaketh. What? Shall we receive good at the hand of God, and shall we not receive evil? In all this did not Job sin with his lips. Wow, his own wife looks at him. Maybe seeing him crying and weeping in agony. Why don't you just curse God and die? That's what the world tells you. Just curse God and die. Just let him go. Come back and just party your problems away. Come kick back a few. Job says, you foolish. You speak as a fool. And I will not turn from my God. The Lord gives good. So what if evil comes? He recognizes that he's had all the good and that the evil can come too. We need to recognize the same family. If you've had good, evil can come too to your life. Know that. Even the greatest men lose much. And I believe the greatest men do lose much. I think of my mentor, John Corson, a man who fears God and walks very close to him, upright in all his ways. I don't know if he's ever sinned. No, JK, of course he has. 
but he's never drank, he's never looked at anything dirty on the computer in a magazine, never partied, never smoked, never. The man is upright. None of his kids have rebelled against him. And of course, the greatest tragedy just so happens to happen in his life. He loses his wife, and then he loses his daughter. When you think that nothing else could get worse after you lose a daughter, can you imagine parents weeping? Maybe together, him and his wife grew so close in the weeping over their child. And then what? It's a few years later, guess who he loses? The one that he weeped with. To lose his best friend. The one that got him through that hard time. And now who does he have? Nothing. But the man will not curse God. He walks closely to him. Look at verse 11. Now when Job's three friends heard of all the evil that was come, they came every one of them to their own place, Eliphaz, the Telemite, and Bil, Bildad, the Shuhite, and Zophar, and the Zamanith. For they had made an appointment together to come to mourn with him and to comfort him. There's the shortest man in the Bible. Did you see that? Bilhad the Shuhite. Okay, it's not funny. And when they lifted up their eyes afar off, they knew him not. They lifted up their voice and wept. They rent every one in his mantle and sprinkled dust upon their own heads towards the heaven. So they sat down him upon the ground seven days and seven nights, and none spake a word unto him, for they saw he was grief was very great. It says that when the friends saw him, they did not even recognize him. That's how bad these boils were. They couldn't even tell it was Job. But he's just sitting there, laying there. They walk up, they hear about Job, how everything's been taken from him, and they're just, he's bummed out. We've got to go help him. We've got to go comfort him. And they come to comfort and they don't even recognize the man. And it says because he was in such grief, it's like when you look at somebody and they're so messed up, you don't even say a word to them. You just know you just need to be quiet. And that's Jewish custom also to sit with someone if bad things happen or if people, I'm sorry, if people die, bad things happen, they will wait seven days. If someone dies, seven days. The person, say, if my mother died, which she did when I was eight, if I was a Jew, then I would wait seven days and uh, I would sit in my home. I would not work. I would not do anything. I wouldn't hang out. I wouldn't do anything. I would just sit in my home in the same clothes, not taking a shower or anything. I would sit there in my home for seven days. At the end of seven days, I will shave my head and I will shave and I'll take a bath and burn my clothes and I will move on. You have seven days to mourn. And it kind of seems like a sad thing, but at the same time, if you sat there 24 hours a day, seven days a week, mourning, you get pretty tired of mourning. If you're thinking about it, it's like, man, I want to, I, I, I got to do something. I got to get out of here. Nope, you sit and mourn. And almost they do this because they want people to get sick of mourning, sick of dwelling on this death. Why? Because you have people who will dwell on a death for over a year, two years, three years. They'll just cling to it. It's great wisdom. And so they sit with him for seven days. And they don't say a word. I wonder if they're waiting Job, waiting for Job to say something. What is the ultimate goal and ultimate vision of this? these two chapters we just looked at? It's this family. Know that God can take away from your life just as fast as he's given to you. 
then everything you own is not your own. But I believe we are to be walking this life kind of away on eggshells. Hey, always ready for whatever happens. Hey, we can walk in joy. Jesus has given us life in that abundantly. Man, I got the greatest life on this earth. I guarantee it. I love this life. I got my God. I got Superman to save the day. This is a great life. But to be walking in such a way where I do not get comfortable. Because you know what? God could snatch it all away from you in a second. And He will for many. And even as I preach this sermon, maybe He will in 10 years. And I hope you would come to me and say, Josh, I remember you preached a message. You said, bless the Lord even though He's taken everything from you. We need to be ready for whatever God may have for our lives and not curse Him when bad things go down. Do you understand? Don't be bummed at God when bad things happen. Absolutely not. Why? Because He is working it for good. Every time, that cell phone will be found. Yes. Maybe not the way I want it to be found. Maybe not the way I want to get all my contacts back. Maybe not in my time and what I desire, but God will pull through. He does not know how to fail. He will never fail you. And we will see at the end of this book that what? Job is given twofold what he had in the beginning. Remember all the oxen, all the sheep, all the riches? He has more. And it says that Job lived a full life in the later end of his life. He was a happy man. We don't serve God because He makes our lives happy and sweet. Nope, you're missing it. This is not a pill that you take. Christianity is not a little medicine that you drink down and everything gets happy. No, you're missing it. Christianity is saying, I choose to give my life to God regardless of how things go for the rest of my life. That's it. I've dedicated myself to Him. Do you understand? That is who Job is and that is what he did. And that is who we are called to be. I'm going to pray that in. And ask that we would be those men and women. Amen? Maybe some of you need to say tonight, God, I need to give you everything. Everything I need to lay down my life as Job did and be honest and open with the things. What if God took away that one thing that you just can't live without right now? That is just your treasure. It's just your thing. You don't want to... Can, if God took it away, would you be all right? I understand that we wouldn't be immediately all right as Job was not immediately all right but what was he he was focused on the father he was content in the Lord and that is what I'm calling us to be amen let's pray father we thank you that you are sovereign over all things and that when your hand moves it moves because you are doing a work whether you take away everything from our lives we will still praise you and serve you because you are the living God you are the truth. You are the way. There is none like you. What other God is there? What MTV? What other God is there? Beer? What other God is there here on this earth? A big truck? There is no other God to serve. There is no one who practices truth and righteousness in your ways. There is none like you. We submit ourselves to you, God. And we say, whatever you desire for our lives we adhere to and we give you our lives and we give you our possessions and we give you our vision 
we give you our goals in life that we want and we desire and we say, God, if you want to even take that away, Lord, rip that from the grip of my hands. If you want to take all money from me, if you want to take my life from me, all my friends and family, Lord, we desire to still be faithful to you, to be people that lay down their lives for you, a true Christian. That's what you're calling us to. And so, Father, we lay our lives at your feet. And we ask that you would work these things in us. Lord, as I know there are many struggling with this, laying down their entire life for you and you alone, surrendering. And so, Father, as you look into your people throughout this crisis, as you look into their life, into their heart, pick those out, examine those hearts, touch those ones that you desire to raise up and to use to further your kingdom. And grab those ones. Take away whatever you need, Father, that you may be glorified in them, that they would be humbled and broken before you so you can use them and fill them. Find those, Father, that you desire to lift up and exalt so that you can be glorified. Thank you for the work you're doing. We love you, King, and we do lay our lives down. Please help us to be like Job. Teach us your ways that we may walk with you. We ask these things in the name of your Son. Amen. Amen, amen, amen. Love you guys. And uh, Lord be with you as you go. I guarantee that the storm will come, the fire may come, the wind may blow. This week, just because we have, hey, talked about these things, and now we get to what? Practice them with our whole heart. Amen? Let's be ready. We do not go out of this place just thinking that life will be la-di-da. We go out of this place ready. For anything. And family, if trials and tribulations are coming to this brother or sister around you, then wrap your arms around them and encourage and build them up. Be a family as we should. Amen? All right. Love you guys. See you next week.